Hello and welcome to Real Leadership, Life, Love, and Leadership. I'm Tom Ray, and and with me on the line today is Bert Koppel. Bert, hey. uh, say hello. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. And why don't you introduce our guest that's going to be on with us today, too? Yeah, man, I am so excited. Uh, we're joined by Nate Rockwell. Uh, I've known Nate was a man, a childhood friend of mine forever, man. We did so much awesome stuff together back in the day. We're both huge Cleveland Browns fans. Don't hold that against us. And uh, but we're so thrilled to have Nate here. I'm going to tell, talk more about Nate here in a little bit because we're talking specifically about uh, the restaurant industry today. So we're really excited to have him on board. So Nate, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Yes, welcome, Nate. Um, yeah, we're in the middle of uh, a lot of changes and stuff going on. I heard this this morning that that uh, you know a lot of people are fearful of change. But one guy mentioned, well, we're not really fearful of change because uh, we, we go to school, we uh, buy a car, we, we uh, go out on a date. So we're not fearful of change. What we're fearful is the fear that change brings. Mm. And I thought that was pretty powerful this morning when I heard that. So I wanted to share that with everyone. So look, we like to kick off every uh, podcast with a attitude of gratitude. So uh, why don't we dive into that this morning? Uh, Bert, you want to kick us off? Yeah, yeah, I know today I am uh, just so thankful um, for the, uh, you know, uh, well, unfortunately, not unfortunately, fortunately, whatever, we run an essential business where we have to care for seniors in their homes. And uh, I just did a, a staff meeting this morning at 9am with all 13 of my key players who normally work in the office, but I'm thankful for the ability to work from home. Uh, we literally had to ramp up in 10 days to get everybody at home by a whole new phone system, change over to VoIP. It was uh, definitely a challenge, uh, but I'm so thankful for my entire team for the hard work that they're putting in to keep providing care, uh, you know, to the 150 plus seniors that we care for during this time. So I'm thankful for them today. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and uh, my, I'm thankful, man, I've just been, uh, going through a list of stuff this morning. But uh, I, I'm so thankful for my wife and the blessing that she is to me is in and the fact that we're able to get along in this season of quarantine. And uh, she is just uh, so uh, awesome. And, and um, I'm just so blessed to have her in my life. Awesome. Nate, how about you? What are you thankful for? I guess, uh, you know, let me count the ways, right? <laughs> um, probably, probably top of my list right now is I'm thankful that this happened when it did. Um, because my side gig is, is that I'm setting up a, a fruit farm for my semi-retirement business. And this was the big year where we, uh, we ordered in $1,000 of planting materials. Uh, so it's perfect timing. The order shipped and it's all in the ground. Uh, otherwise, it was going to be pulling some 80 hour, 100 hour weeks trying to get it all done. And that the kids were able to help me because we always homeschool anyways. Um, but me being home, them being around, everyone else kind of being off school, we figured we can kind of put homeschool on the back burner a little bit for a while. Um, there's no better education, man, than teaching your kids how to plant farms and put trees. And that's awesome, Nate. I love that. And you're right. The timing, uh, timing's impeccable without a doubt. Cause you can <laughs> definitely self quarantine while putting trees in, which is fantastic. So yeah. good stuff, man. 
Well, we are, we're talking today about uh, change, and uh, we've been doing our mastermind series at realleadershipcompany.com about uh, putting your dream to the test. And we have said in the past that there's no better time to dream than right now, especially when the playing field has been leveled for millions of Americans, right? We know that our country probably will, will not be the same when we come back out of this. It's going to be very different. And uh, we started talking a little bit uh, last week during our mastermind session about the restaurant industry and what's happening there. Um, so before we get into that, I just want to share uh, just some of the news that's out there. So I'm just going to uh, kind of put this up there so we can kind of see some of the articles that are out there. But right now, here's one, for example, uh, this says a lot of restaurants are already permanently closed. The National Restaurant Association says 3% of restaurants are closed for good. 11% could join them within a month. And this was written back on March 27th. And then here's another one. Uh, this says that uh, the estimate is that COVID-19 will permanently close one third of restaurants. Uh, and you can find stories like this all over the internet about how just devastated the restaurant industry is by this. So I thought, you know what, let's, let's talk to someone that really is an expert in the restaurant field. So I decided to reach out to Nate. Uh, Nate actually started his career in restaurants way back in 1996 in restaurant management. Um, he's, worked, uh, he's worked at them all, man, from fast food, from Burger King and Perkins to Olive Garden, TGI Fridays, Bob Evans, the Castle Pub, Calamari's, a cool little joint in Erie, Pennsylvania, the Unionville Tavern. But what I love though is Nate has actually been working really hard and he actually uh, opened his own restaurant um, back in uh, 2009 called Briquette Smokehouse. Nate, I remember, I don't know, I think it was maybe five or six years ago, I went to your restaurant back before you moved into your brand new space and uh, the food was absolutely amazing. Well, Thank you. That was good. That was excellent. Fantastic. Didn't know that was going to kick in there. But anyways, um, like I was saying is that uh, it was so cool to walk into that restaurant to see where your dream had, had started. Um, and then to see where it's gone since then has been monumental. And I love it. You know, Briquettes, when you started it, you told me it was, uh, you know, $160,000 uh, revenue producing restaurant, three people working there and you've grown it to basically be a $1.5 million restaurant with seasonal staff over 40 people. And I also love the mission that you have, man, you know, creating a community environment for dining and fellowship that improves the human experience through barbecue. Mm -hmm. So I love that not only are you passionate about what you do, um, but you're also passionate about creating community and creating opportunity. Uh, you're one of the very first <laughs> restaurant owners I know that, that went into profit sharing with your employees, which is unheard of in the restaurant industry, which is just so awesome. So Nate, why don't you, we just want you to unpack this a little bit. Talk a little bit about the dream. How did the dream for Briquettes start for you? And how did you begin to manifest that dream uh, to make it a reality? Okay, so I suppose like, um, like a lot of dreams to, to a large degree, it was born out of necessity. Uh, as, as a restaurant manager who kind of walked away and burn the bridge behind me uh, in terms of uh, corporate restaurant management. Um, working for small startup restaurants and, and even for established uh, privately owned restaurants was not only a completely different dynamic and, uh, and you stepped into a completely different paradigm, but it was, it was restaurants are high risk, right? Well, uh, corporate restaurant management offers a high degree of uh, security and it's very easy to transition. You, you can sort of retool 
your um, management experience to be able to transition quickly between one and another. With private restaurants, that was a very different game. Uh, private restaurants are so incredibly apt to fail. Uh, they're, they're driven completely differently. They don't have the back office support. They don't have even the front office support. And a lot of times they don't have the, the managerial structure in place. A lot of the, a lot of the uh, private restaurants I went to work for sort of day one was to start to implement that lower, middle, and upper level management approach to how those businesses would be run. So they were, they were operating and they were really kind of crew driven. Everyone knew their job and um, there, there were sort of a dozen Indian, a dozen chiefs and, and really not enough Indians, no one leading. And so I found myself multiple times in an unemployment line. And as, uh, as I progressed in my personal life, uh, the, the last time I found myself in the unemployment line, I had a, a new baby daughter. She was just a year old and I had just purchased my first home. So that particular time I said, this is, um, this risk has to be managed. If I'm going to continue to work in private restaurants, it's got to be under my own terms. So uh, that was sort of what opened my <clears throat> eyes to the, uh, I'm going to say necessity of getting in business myself. Um, the restaurant I was working at the time uh, when I had the one-year-old daughter and new home, uh, we, we closed it up and uh, my bartenders who were working for me also had the same thought and decided they were going to go into business. They weren't really equipped to set that business up. So I agreed to help them under the condition that I was doing the same thing and that my time with them would be very limited. So I'm happy to say uh, we still talk and they're only about two miles away from me. And we actually just had a, a bit of a conversation a couple of weeks ago about you know, how they were moving forward and, and whatnot. So uh, Martini's restaurant and uh, grill is still open and operating uh, 11 years later, 11 and a half years later for them now. And Briquettes is coming up on its 11-year anniversary. That's awesome, dude. Congratulations. You know, one thing that you just mentioned there that we focus on a lot, uh, especially as we're going through this period of dreaming, is that success does not breed creativity, right? A lot of times when we're successful, you just keep doing the same thing over and over again because it's what brought you success to begin with. But it's when you face hard times is when that creativity begins to sprout because you have to think differently. It forces you to change that paradigm. Can you talk a little bit, like you said, you had been working with, you know, from, with corporate restaurants and then all of a sudden you found yourself on the unemployment line, a new house, a new baby girl. Creativity probably started to sprout for you there, right? Talk about how you began to dream up and create uh, what is now known as Briquettes today. Uh, so this was actually a process that unfolded on, on many levels over a, a fairly long period of time. Uh, I had been toying around with writing business plans since I was pretty young. I think, in fact, since you and I worked together at Burger King, um, and, and I actually did take a business plan or what I thought was a business plan into a bank as a very naive 18 or 19 year old kid and said, I've got a menu written here and, 
and this is how I'll set up the dining room. So give me some money. And, and they laughed at me. Um, at the time, I thought it was cruel, but in retrospect, I fully understand. So that process of dreaming uh, an idea really had been over 20 years in the making. I guess not quite 20 years, but at least a dozen years in the making. Um, I had toyed around with an idea of the fine dining restaurant that I was the chef and general manager of purchasing that establishment um, and discussing that with some private equity uh, potential funders. What would that look like? I uh, had looked at opening a small crepery. Uh, another idea I had was a dinner club. And so all of these ideas um, were mauled over again and again. Uh, ideas came up and failed regularly as a, as a part of this process. And what ultimately ended up happening was the opportunity that I was given to open a business was predicated upon opening that business on an incredibly small shoestring. So when I was uh, told, you know, write the plan, we'll get you some funding. They didn't really say what, what that uh, ceiling was at. And I came back with the first business plan written at about $50,000. And it was to take over um, an, an established barbecue restaurant that wasn't really well put together. It wasn't going to make it. We all knew it wasn't going to make it. And so that first business plan uh, had a set of $50,000 startup. And I walked into the funder's office and I said, here's what I've got. And they looked it over. And they said, this is great cut your expenses in half, start up on 25. And I, needless to say, I was pretty offended and upset. And I said, there we go, yet another failure. So I, I left the office and, and I let that business plan fail quickly and uh, started to try to figure out how do we do this for $25,000? And so I did, and I went back in with the second cut of the business plan. And, and then they said, this is great the loan that we have available is for $14,000. So you're going to have to come up with the other 11 on your own. And I said, well, I, I can't do that. I've got $2,000 to my name. So uh, we, we left, I left again and let that business plan fail and said, how do I do it for under 20? And part of that ended up being uh, having a conversation with, with one of my coworkers a uh, gentleman who would become my partner. And the two of us had opened Martini's restaurant together, uh, previously had worked at Bridge Street Bistro together. And he's a culinary graduate graduate himself. He was in nursing school at the time. And, uh, and I said, hey, is nursing what you're gonna do? And he said, I don't, I don't think so, I, I like restaurants. And I said, let's partner up then. I've got a lot of sweat equity into this business plan. Uh, do you have any money to bring to the table? So that's how we ended up uh, in partnership together. Uh, so then we did. We opened up Briquettes on a $14,000 loan with $2,000 of my money and $7,000 of his money. That's, that's such an awesome story about, you know, like you said, I mean, like, again, success does not breed creativity, man. If, if you had to keep refining and retooling that business plan and that dream until you can launch it. And here you are, you know, 11 years later now with a, a business producing 1.6 million off of a 
$15,000 starting point. I think that's, that's pretty incredible and pretty amazing. The briquettes itself, um, barbecue, was that always the dream for you? I mean, was, was, was going the barbecue route where you saw yourself going or how did your personal dream have to tweak a little bit? Obviously you wanted to work for yourself. You wanted to run a business, but you still need to be passionate about what you're cooking and what you're putting out. So talk about that a little bit. How did you realign your personal vision with the dream that was kind of presented for you? It, it ended up being a, another thing that was really born out of necessity. So when I talked about it uh, for, what did I talk about? A, a creperie, taking over a fine dining restaurant, a supper club. Uh, you know, at that point in my career, I, I, was, I was executing the position of chef. Um, it was working with the best ingredients I could get my hands on of the highest quality that only the wealthiest people could afford. And uh, that's, that's not something that you're going to be able to execute on a $14,000 shoestring. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I had always been kind of a backyard barbecue guy. I started smoking hamburgers and steaks and chicken in the backyard uh, when, it, when I was in my early 20s. And I, I did spend a good deal of time in Southern Georgia as a kid. Um, my, my grandparents were volunteers, I guess volunteers, it was a communal farm. So they worked at this communal farm. And when I would visit them, um, they had a communal kitchen and, and I spent a lot of time with Queenie learning how to fry okra and cook greens. And uh, you know, it was, a, it was a daily event that you cooked food for all of the workers in this communal village. So I had a bit of that soul food background. What I didn't have was a passion for it. And it, it happened to be really perfect timing in two different respects. Uh, we had the housing market crash in 2008 and the, the recession that followed. I opened my business in June of 2009. Uh, now to my grandparents who came off the heels of the Great Depression, I was insane. And they couldn't believe that I would take such risks with my family at such, at such a difficult time. But part of what I knew in doing barbecue was that, look, look at the roots of it, right? I mean, um, you look back to the plantations and, and it was born out of necessity. Uh, so you had poor people that were dreaming how to take these, these cuts of meat that you couldn't just introduce them to heat for 10 seconds and then put them on the plate and they were done. You had to put in hours and days of preparation work to get them to actually be a delicacy. And so when we opened briquettes, um, barbecue was starting to become a trend and the cuts of meats that we were dealing with could be purchased for pennies on the dollar versus your steak cuts and your high, higher end cuts. And so that actually made us capable of, of opening with an idea in our business plan in place of being recession proof. So our business plan was really crafted based on the fact that we would rather serve 100 people a day and, and turn a dollar per person than serve 20 people a day and try to turn uh, $5 per person. And so uh, the community aspect of it was also built right in based on being a barbecue because a barbecue it's not just a food type, it's an experience. Michael Poulon talks a lot about that in his book, uh, Cooked, that barbecue is a community. It isn't just a type of food, it's not just a type of cooking. It's the whole experience. 
That's awesome, man. And uh, so you, you built up this, this dream, you moved from a, a small corner uh, building and then you, it looks like if I'm correct, you, you built your own place out, right? There was a warehouse you guys refinished or, or built, right? And so you went from, the, if, I, if I'm correct, the first restaurant I was in, I think it sat, what, maybe, maybe 30 people at tops, like inside the restaurant. Is that correct? That, that is right. When we opened, it was only 14. Okay. <laughs> okay so 14 people. To th yeah. So exactly. And then when did you move into your new location? It was what, about three years ago? Uh, so yeah, four years ago, but we, we did a pit stop on the way over there. Uh, we, we started at a building uh, on one corner, uh, where actually now I, and I'm going to take a second to talk about this because it's important. Yeah. Um, as we have kind of hopscotched our way through our neighborhood into bigger and bigger buildings, we've left in our wake, not destruction, right? Cause that's what capitalism does. Sure. No. We have left improved facilities and we have uh, left a larger uh, sort of threshold for a dining community to exist where, where we are. And uh, so now where we started out, there's a business <clears throat> that's run by a chef who moved back to her hometown from New York called Rennick Meat Market. Uh, after we left that spot, we went into the building I had originally been uh, the chef and and general manager of in Bridge Street Bistro, and that building became Briquette Smokehouse. And when we left that building, again, we left behind a facility that was ready for a smaller restaurant to graduate into a larger one. And so now a gentleman named Chris Parola, he runs Parola Brothers Bridge Street Pizza out of that building. Uh, they recently made some regional news because they're doing a pay it forward slice of pizza uh, thing thing program during this uh, COVID event. They are keeping their doors open. And then yes, finally, we, we moved our way into, uh, in 2015, we built out a uh, 6,000 square foot, uh, used to be a hardware, hardware store warehouse. And we built it out into a, um, a three level, three floor dining facility with a patio capable in uh, peak season of seating about 270 people. That's awesome. I just want to, I just want to share some of the pictures real quick from that are online so people can actually see what the restaurant looks like. So these are just, you know, shots from inside your, your Google profile and stuff online, but you can see it's just got this beautiful look and there's outdoor seating that you guys do as well. This is in front of the building. Uh, talk about the dreaming aspect, Nate, because obviously to go from seating 14 people to 30 people to how many can you seat in this facility now? It's about 270 with the patio. So a little bit, little bit bigger. What was it like <laughs> to dream, to have to, to grow? Talk about the process of growing your dream, right? Because you dream differently for, for seating 13 than you do 30, and you definitely have to dream differently going from 30 to 270, right? That we always talk about if you're going to dream for yourself, you, your dream doesn't have to be big. It just has to be bigger than you. So talk about what it was like for you guys to have to dream up into this new space and what you guys are going to be accomplishing. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so um, you're absolutely right. It has to be a dream because it's, it's really the unknown and 
you know, there's a, there's a great deal. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spin anyone's gears here. There's a great deal of trial by fire. Yeah. Uh, you have to be willing to fail. And I tell this, I do, I do a lot, a lot of entrepreneurial uh, coaching and leadership. And, and I try to really beat this into everyone's head. Success is not an end goal. Success is a, is a process. Every day I try to go to bed with success under my hat, but I know every morning I wake up and I'm back to, I'm back to zero. I'm back to square one. So if you're comfortable, you're not trying hard enough. Mm. Uh, and so every day we have the opportunity to succeed and we have the opportunity to fail. And um, when we fail, the goal is to do it very quickly and to learn. From it. Yeah. And, and we're not afraid to fail. That's been probably the biggest part of what has allowed this dream to progress is that uh, you, you wake up from failure and entrepreneurs are not timid or frightened people. We, we like to uh, navigate that tempestuous sea of liberty and work our way through each day, not afraid of what, of what comes in the wake of our actions, but either ready to learn from it or ready to build on, on what it was. So uh, a little story that kind of explains how we dreamed our way into, into making this, this huge facility a reality. Um, we were very challenged through some building department regulations that we were having a hard time meeting to finally be able to close, you know, close down the permitting and, and get our authority to operate from the liquor control board and the health department. And uh, we were being held up on our liquor license by just, you know, it was essentially a final approval by a building inspector. And so I lined everything up to make sure that this was going to happen. Uh, if I recall, it was December 15th was, was where I said, that's it, we're opening this day. We're going to get this final approval on the 13th. I'm driving to Columbus, Ohio on the 14th to pick up our liquor license. Um, you'll have the beer orders placed, and this is to my, my general manager, who's now my business partner. Uh, you'll have the orders in place when I get to Columbus and have the license in hand. I'll image you uh, the license so that you can show it to the beer purveyors, and they can put that license number on file before they make the delivery. And we open tomorrow. And when we open tomorrow, we're going to do $5,000 in revenue. And and we almost came to blows over the phone, if that's even possible. But he, he insisted that wasn't going to be possible. It was just an outrageous proposition that we would do $5,000 in revenue. It would have been real close to a record, one of the busiest days we'd ever had before. <clears throat> and we were opening on this abbreviated menu where we weren't even selling half of the product that we had in the previous location as part of our soft opening strategy. But it was important to figure out how, how does that happen? Well, what does this revenue look like? And my business advisors have told me over the years, it's great to run conservative revenue numbers, but if you don't plan for what's possible, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for tragedy. Yeah. Uh, because what happens when you have $5,000 worth of business come knocking on your door and you're only prepared to do $2,000 worth. And so we did, we prepared for that. And sure enough, we did pretty close to $5,000 in revenue that first day. And largely we didn't know how it was going to work. 
uh, it was trial by fire. Uh, we knew that if we had X amount of food on hand and Y amount of booze on hand and, and Z number of employees, that we should be able to execute that level of, of uh, demand. But we really had no idea how it was gonna play out. We did our best to map it. We did our best to program the flow and have that, um, that operational flowchart in place to describe what that action might look like. But when it came down to it, um, we didn't really know until, until the bullet hit the bone and, and then each employee uh, in their respective position. And, you know, I hate to actually use the word employee, but it's more like teammate, right? Because the point guard had to figure out their strategy for offense and defense and communicate that over to the guard and down to the forwards. And that was really how we sort of learned. We learned together and we took our, our knowledge and we built a program. We built a system over a period of, of well, really it's still being built right now that allowed us to better execute what we do and to provide a better experience for not only our guests, but for our team and for our community. And, uh, and well, now here we are again, getting ready to reinvent. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for a minute, right? It's March, 2020 now, 11 years in business. You had a dream, the dream began to grow. You kept dreaming bigger than you were. And now, COVID-19 happens to the entire world. I mean, it's, this is not just a localized thing. It's not just a one industry thing. It's everybody. What, what happens now? The, your business, if I'm correct, and I mean, it sounds like you've, you have furloughed your employees. Is that correct? Because obviously you can't be open. So all your employees have been furloughed. The business is shut down. You made that uh, strategic decision, which makes sense, right? To shut everything down because it costs more to keep a big building like that up and running than it would a smaller building that only seats 14 people in terms of gas and utilities and everything else. So I get that. And now the question exists, what happens next? So Nate, how are you dreaming? What is the process going through your mind right now, a successful business owner that right now your business is at a standstill and these employees that you have cared about and loved on so much now that they're, they're not working. Cause again, we get it. This is what, what America is going through. How do you as a business owner motivate that dream to rekindle it for what may come next and what's currently going through your mind right now in terms of that dream process? Uh, before I talk about that, um, just to touch on that strategic element of it, uh, I encourage this of our entrepreneurial network. Um, number one, we're in a crisis, right? And what's the worst thing to do in any crisis? Panic. Yeah, so um, keep a level head, rely on empirical data, empirical evidence. It's hard. Um, I'm not a guy who, who cries, it's just not in my repertoire. But um, if I was, I, I'd, probably, I'd probably have broken down in tears several times now. Um, I ran vectors and it was real simple. What does it look like if we keep our doors open and I have a best case scenario for takeout? Um, and even if I retool and, and start to offer delivery, what, what's that best case scenario? What's that worst case scenario? And, and how long, over what period of time uh, do I run out? And, and then I did the same thing for if I lock my doors and, and what does it look like over how long? When do I run out of, of liquidity? When, when does my burn rate exceed my 
my current cash position. And so you're right. It was absolutely based on uh, strategic uh, position. And it was to a degree with the uh, team members in mind. Because if I had continued to offer them employment, um, what stability is there? Are they going to earn considerably less than they earned as tipped employees? Right. Uh, and, and the answer to that was most likely. Um, so am I doing them an injustice by not providing them with the opportunity to collect the social benefit that they've paid for, uh, that they've met their premiums on for, for this period of time? So that was the element behind the strategic part of it. The, the moving forward part, I alluded to it earlier. Uh, the 10-year plan is uh, to go into sort of a semi-retirement and have this, you know, fruit farm, vegetable farm, do value-added canning, and to sort of vertically integrate that into um, what our restaurants do. And, and so I do have more than one restaurant. Uh, how can I vertically, vertically integrate a different element into those restaurants through hands-on farming? and value-added produce uh, production. So, you know, I do maple. Um, I'm sure you've seen that pop up in your newsfeed because I love to talk about it. Uh, and I do take the, uh, the product of that maple and sell it off to our brunch restaurant. Uh, I, I sell a portion of it off to the barbecue restaurant as well. So what I'm doing right now is not stopping. Okay, I'm not, I'm not sitting down and binge watching Netflix. I might, I might watch Star Trek at the end of the day when I can't keep my head up anymore. Um, but I'm, I'm keeping very busy and it's something that I've always done whenever I'm faced with adversity or a challenge or when I don't know what's next. And it's okay to not know what's next um, because dreams develop, they don't just appear. Uh, and you can put pen to paper, but when you put pen to paper in front of uncertainty, you, you're doing an ideation. Um, you, we're at the position right now where we understand that we have to exercise patience. Uh, we did our vector analysis for a reason so that we know how long we can kind of sit here and um, think through what the next element of what we're going to do will be. And, and I understand that, that it's okay not to know the answer to that so long as we're continuing to move forward, we're continuing to uh, push and develop new ideas. And as a team, and I don't just mean my management team, uh, but as our work family, we're continuing to uh, be in touch with one another and to work together in, in a new capacity. So for example, last Monday, we did a, a blood drive. We had product on hand that you know we didn't know if it was going to become part of the graveyard uh, we did hand out about 150 pounds of food to our staff after we made the decision to close up so that they'd have sort of a meal kit in place for the first week um, we didn't we didn't rid ourselves of all product on hand and then I was reached out to by a philanthropic uh, friend that I do a lot of work with and he said we've got a, an emergency need for blood I think if we offer food, we can get more people there. So I put it out there to my team in our group chat, said, hey, who wants to volunteer to do a food effort? This isn't a paid gig. You're, you know, you're doing, 
you're doing the right thing while you're collecting unemployment. You're, you're keeping that momentum going. You're keeping moving. And we, we uh, did this blood drive last Monday. They brought something like 48 donors to the blood drive, which was a big step up from what they're used to doing. Uh, so hopefully barbecue motivated a few people to get out there and do that. I was advertising it as, uh, you know, show up here and trade a pound of blood for a pound of meat. That's awesome, Ed. I love that. You know, I, Nina, I, I, we love doing these types of interviews because number one, I, I think a lot of times when you go through times of crisis, you tend to go down that spiral of thinking that you're in this all by yourself, right? And when you start to have that negative dominant thinking, it's really difficult to get out of it. But when you talk to other entrepreneurs and other business owners and uh, you start to hear the stories of what they're doing and how they're trying to make it work, it can be uplifting. And uh, now we wish absolutely nothing but the best for you and for Briquette Smokehouse. Again, if you're ever driving through Briquette's is in Ashtabula, Ohio. Uh, we'll see on the other end of this COVID-19 thing. I know that the governor of, uh, of Ohio, he, he shut things down really early, but that may be to the benefit of the folks living in Ohio and that they, your peak, I don't know. I don't know how the curves and peaks work with this whole thing, but that's a whole different story. We'll, that's, a, that's a different conversation. But we'll be open back up a little early. That's what we hope. That's what we're hoping for. And uh, but if you ever get a chance driving off of I ninety, if you can swing by Ashtabula to go check out Briquettes, uh, and also just to meet Nate. And uh, again, he's he's got an amazing wife and five one year children. How, how old is your youngest child now? Just turned six months old. Six months. Okay, so your oldest is twelve, and your youngest is six months, right? Yep, that's You're right. Just, just trying to keep the homeschooling fires going, man, for as long as possible, which is fantastic. But uh, I'm just excited, man, to see what, like you said, those retirement plans are, the trees you're planting, the, the, the gardening and the harvesting you're going to be doing, man. And we just appreciate what you're doing in, in Northeast Ohio and the impact you're making on your employees and your community, Nate. Seriously, from someone who has admired you from afar for a very long time, man, you're doing amazing work. And we appreciate what you're doing i'm sorry you're going through this but i know if anyone can dream their way out of it and pick themselves up man you're going to make it happen so thank you for joining us today thanks Bert. the admiration's mutual i appreciate that man thank you so much dude uh next week on, on the next vlog tom i know we're going to continue this conversation um about dreaming a little bit and we're going to we're going to kind of dissect and pull apart nate's conversation a little bit and we have another business owner that uh, we're going to try to reach out to as well who uh, very similar, Navy runs a, co a company called Swamp Shack down in Florida, and it's a food truck. And obviously, they're still operating because that's that's their bread and butter, man. And uh, we're going to try to get John Martino on the line and talk to him a little bit to see how how his dream has changed. Because now, it, their business is the only one in town that's open. And so, like you said, it's it's all about strategy. And now, all of a sudden, where you had sit-down restaurants were open, they're not. How do you ramp up for that? And how do you keep that going? Uh, as a small family operation. So we're going to talk to him next week a little bit and, and see uh, how, we can, uh, how we can bring this together and encourage people to dream. We know that the restaurant industry is going to be deeply impacted. And as Nate, as you alluded to, there's a lot of mom and pops out there that maybe they were considering retiring anyways. Uh, they may just not reopen up again after this. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities where you have uh, shells of restaurants that were open that are fully stocked with all the equipment, right? To and all you need is, to, is the dream to step into that moment uh, to try to try to launch something. Uh, mm -hmm. I think as challenging that this is, is, 
as this situation is right now, there's going to be a lot of possibility and opportunity on the other end of this. And so we just encourage people what Nate just said. He's not sitting at home just binging Netflix and, and uh, he, he's still dreaming, man. And you got to keep on dreaming because again, success doesn't breed creativity. This time right now, if you allow yourself uh, to stretch and to grow, there's so much possibility on the other side of this if we continue to push through. So Nate, thanks for joining us. Tom, any final thoughts for this week? Well, I just want to say thank you to Nate. Um, very inspirational to hear you share with us today and, and uh, you're just pushing forward even in the midst of adversity and uh, as well as, you know, your thoughtfulness um, in mentioning how you left the previous restaurants for others and uh, that you seem to be um, others minded from those in the community um, uh, other entrepreneurs as well as your your own staff and and so I really appreciate that in you and, and uh, thank you for sharing today because um, I think a lot of people were touched by what you had to say <clears throat> um, you did give one quote you said if you're comfortable what was the rest of that quote do you remember that if, if you're comfortable you're not trying hard enough you're not trying hard enough that's, that's great good. that's good if you're comfortable you're not trying hard enough so uh, that's, that's some pretty good stuff. And I think that's a great way to end this uh, podcast today. Thank you, Nate, for being a part of this. Um, and uh, by the way, we are continuing our series on um, Put Your Dream to the Test. Is that right, Bert? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're welcome to join us on that. You can visit our Facebook page um, or go to uh, realleadershipcompany.com to connect to our Facebook page there. Um, and uh, we're continuing our series on Put Your Dream to the Test by John Maxwell. Uh, it's a great time to come together and dream in the midst of, you know, some pretty <laughs> peculiar times that we're in. But um, we challenge you to, to be a part. We challenge you to dream. And, and we ask this question with everyone, what if, what if, right? So let's, let's dare to dream and dream bigger than we are and see what comes out on the other side. Right? Anything else, Bert? No, that's it. Nate, it was great seeing you as always, man. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time out to talk with us too. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me and for all you guys are doing. Thank you. We hope to um, <laughs> have an interview with you in the future. All right. Thank you for everyone for tuning in and, and being a part of this uh, and tune in next time. God bless you, and uh, thank you for tuning in to Life, Love, and Leadership by Real Leadership Company. Take care.